Hello, this is uh, Sam Lifted Ghost. We have Blue Bug. Hiya. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So we have um, Blue Bones on, and um, yeah, we just wanted to let everybody know we're the Fan Electric Ghost Show, and we interview indie artists from around the world, and we're talking to you right now, and um, you're from England, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's near London, yeah. You had sent me that information. Let me give a little brief background on what you sent me. You're a 19-year-old singer-songwriter based in London. Are you in Cardiff, Wales? Are you actually in London or Wales? Yeah, so I'm in London right now, but I st- I'm at university in Cardiff. So I'm sometimes, I'm a, a lot of okay. here, I'm in Cardiff, yeah. Cool. So you're inspired by the Beatles, which I picked up on, on some of your songs. Yeah. You have a little always just sound in your, in your, in your background, too. Um, yeah, so what we like to do is, uh, if you've listened to our show and the fans that know our show, is we, we talk to indie artists from around the world. We talk about their craft. We talk about what they're into. Yeah. And um, in your background, you said you, were, you have multiple influences from the Beatles to uh, Mac DeMarco, Father John Misty, Red Hot Chili Pepper, mm-hmm. Lamar, you know, MF Doom, Zeppelin. You're, you're, you're like an artist after my own heart because I, I, I have very influences myself. Um, so I love talking to people who have that kind of eclectic uh, reference point because mm-hmm. I think it just makes, um, makes your art interesting. So, yeah, so, like, where do we want to start? Maybe to start, like, when did you get into music? Uh, at what age and make you feel like you had something to say as a musician? Well, I mean, so my first memories of music, I remember being, like, about four years old, and my dad this um this was, like, the best of British, so it had, like, stuff from, like, the 1940s. It was, like... Berlin and George Formby and like you know sort of wartime things like that and I you know I remember sort of enjoying that and I heard um the Beatles before and that had a massive impression on me um and so then so for a few years I just listened to you know pop music or whatever was on the radio and a couple of couple of bands I liked but I'd say it was about maybe age 12 where I started to really kind of pay attention to music um like the the first album I bought was Arctic Monkeys second album and again, that was like another moment where I was like, wow, like this is something I'd want to be a part of. Um, then I sort of got into like the sort of classics like Beatles, Sabbath, Zeppelin, you know, all the kind of classic rock from like the 70s and stuff. The more guitar focused bands. Yeah, very much so, for, at least for those first few years. Yeah, I didn't get into hip hop and stuff till I was maybe 14, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. did like Wu Tang, you got into MF yeah. Doom. Yeah, Hampton, yeah, like like, the collective Rockhampton, which they're very creative. They do a lot of interesting stuff, kind of like the Odd Future Collective. They seem to be kind of patterned after that. Yeah, Um, I think Rockhampton are going to rule the world one day. I honestly think that they're just shooting up. I think they're going to do massive things. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of think they they kind of took over where Odd Future happened. Yeah, and then Tyler and Earl just went separate, and they're kind of doing their own thing. Mm. But um, but they're actually continuing what the original OF was doing um but they're taking it in a different direction yeah absolutely and I think their marketing's brilliant as well like they yeah that boy band thing that they're doing which is kind of that's a stroke of genius quite frankly yeah yeah like a hip-hop collective that's going toward like boy bands and and, which actually is more pop oriented if you want to win yeah (laughs) in the market yeah 
and then the way they speak out about like lgbtq stuff like that's something that the hip-hop scene like really is like never been before them in my opinion anyway yeah you know can i i do my thing with uh you know josephine electric my alter ego mm. and you know it's hard sometimes to get into hip-hop clubs when you're you're playing a female character yeah. <laughs> as a man, as a man. <laughs> yeah. and, you know and, and the biggest um type of um draws nowadays are type mm, of shows and i've actually gone to new york and i had a weird experience I had a bunch of hip-hop guys i thought were like overly macho and i thought they weren't going to take josephine that well Mm. But they liked the fact that I had all this hardware. I had all my Moogs and stuff. So the, at the end of the day, they came up to me and asked me to do collabs I, as a producer. So mm. I, was, I was somewhat surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's something I like about sort of hip hop and, and rap fans is I think they're a lot more open-minded than your traditional rock fan, at least in my experience anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I was so surprised that they were putting off this like machismo image with the <laughs> yeah. gold chains and like the six pack abs and you're thinking oh they're gonna come and beat me down <laughs> um but then they were all asking me about my workflow and asking me about my mobs and they were it's like they're they're like playing a role they're like they're act, like method actors they're, a lot yeah. of the, the people i met they weren't what they appeared to be hmm. they were totally different than their outward image <laughs> But let me get yeah. So so you were talking about how you started to get into the hip hop, and then you started to get into other things too. So maybe talk about um, your playing bass and um, and guitar. Yeah. So so I started playing bass at like at around fourteen because I'd um I went to see Arctic Monkeys live um sort of yeah when I was around thirteen fourteen and I saw their bass player and I think well to this day I think he's one of the best bass players on the kind of indie rock scene and I, mm -hmm. I saw him live and I was just like. Again, I was like, that's what I want to do. I, I bought a bass like, a, you know, a few days later. Um, and so I sort of just played bass for a few months. And then within a year, I bought, you know, this um, sort of rubbish sort of 60 pound electric, um, you know, Squire kind of rip off. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I started playing guitar. Um, Is that why you picked that guitar? So you have that kind of Beatle type of sound? Not even. I honestly just picked it because it was the cheapest one. <laughs> Oh, because because at that stage I'd never really played, you know, sort of six string. So I was like, well, what if I'm rubbish at it? So I'll pick the cheapest one, and then if I'm rubbish, I've not lost much money, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to get a Rickenbacker going to get like a Strat or a Telecaster. So you start off there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting because so like, did you try to write songs with a bass, or did you really have to have? guitar to write because like a piano like i'm a keyboard player so piano is like the base of everything i yeah but um was the guitar were you did you write songs on bass or did you wait until you got your guitar to actually start writing i'm i mean i wrote bass riffs i wrote sort of you know just sort of what i thought was sort of groovy little bass lines but um mm -hmm. i don't think i wrote a you know song like an actual song, song. yeah yeah a guitar um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 not easy to write songs on bass. You sort you might write a funk groove or a, you know a beat, but you yeah, I mean if you're write... Bootsy Collins, you might write the bass yeah. of a funk song, which is foundational. Yeah. But you really, you know, you're gonna end up having you know Bernie Worrell really writing the structure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because as a keyboardist, you can just do more. You know, you can the trouble in a bass club, you can just do more. 
you got the same kind of capability. You can do chords and then you can do leads. You have yeah. to kind of do them sequentially, but on the keyboard, you can do them at the same time. Um, but yeah, it, I, it seems like it's a, the, the guitar is like the writing instrument. So did you kind of start to use that as a, your writing instrument? Yeah, I mean, the, my first sort of experience of writing songs was like um, me and my friend George, we, um, we'd sort of just start writing these like stoner metal tracks, you know, sort of your, your classic like Sabbath worship, you know, like. Oh, just, okay. Yeah, heavy, dark, heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just those songs that would just go bow, da 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 Yeah, just the heavy like, riff. Yes. They got those riffs, the familiar riffs. Yeah, just really. And that was, how, that was how we sort of started writing, which is really obvious, like slow stoner metal like riffs. Yeah. Um, but the, this, the important sort of um, kind of change or moment was that we would always play Planet Caravan, you know, from Black Sabbath's second album. Sort mm -hmm. of a really relaxed track. And, and I, that really pushed us in a direction, you know, because that's like, it's, I mean, it's such a chilled out track. And that... Yeah, it's more, more Beatles-esque. Yeah, exactly. And that influenced, I mean, uh, that, that influenced mine and, and his songwriting for the next sort of two or three years. I mean, even to this day, I still try and write songs that sound like Planet Caravan. <laughs> So do you find like that you um, still like to the, the inject the heavy metal into the more melodic kind of power pop? Because I've been a big fan of like, you know, bands like Alex Chilton's Big Star, which is a power pop kind of be American version of the Beatles. Right. And they, they had very interesting chord structures. And because mm -hmm. they went like slower uh, and did some really interesting things with the chord, chord tonal changes they would do on their songs. I guess, but um, yeah, it's just the, the choices they made mm. um, were kind of Beatlesque. Okay, because they were, you know, they. I don't know if you ever heard the band. They're, they're considered like the like a Velvet Underground or power pop. Oh, okay. Yeah, their foundational kind of uh, alternative. It's like a like if you ever heard like people say not a lot of people bought the Velvet Underground records, but everybody that did. Actually awesome. created. Yeah. yeah, and the same thing happened with Big Star. Bands oh. like Smashing Pumpkins, The Replacements, who used to do a lot of the alternative acts from the early 80s, mid 90s. You, Big Star was a big influence, and they were a Beatlesque American band, mm. fronted by Alex Tote, who had them in the box tops as a teen star. <laughs> yeah. Wrote the classic song, The Letter, is okay. where he came from. Yeah, that's just my kind of music history. <laughs> But um, yeah, because it's weird. I'm a keyboardist, but I love the Beatles. I love Zeppelin. I love Hendrix. I love yeah. bands like Who's to Do. And yeah. So I I try to bring like uh, that kind of a guitar aesthetic to my music. Mm. But I see you're like Simon Garfunkel influence too. Yeah, yeah. I I love I love those guys as well. Yeah, especially like Paul Simon's like solo work as well. I didn't realize until this year just. I mean, just how good he is on his own. Yeah, he's like the, the African rhythms he would interject. Oh, he's, yeah, he's yeah, very, the South African rhythms are just very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like with the Clash. The Clash brought in like you know Caribbean and yeah. reggae rhythms into punk, mm. which kind of created like a ska kind of thing. Mm, yeah, um, that's really yeah. which it kind of opened up like punk rock to be. Not just like, like the remotes. Or yeah. 
So you could, or not like just like the Sex Pistols, did you could actually interject reggae, hip hop, all these things into a punk aesthetic, which the Clash did, like on Sandinista. Well, I think yeah, um, exactly. I think that's what's so great about the Clash is actually like, I, I would say a majority of their music isn't even punk music. Like they, I mean, they yeah. did stuff in the early days, but actually, once you get past that first album, there's very little that's actual punk music. It's all kind of other things yeah like, Mick Jones was just enamored with other musical styles yeah so he brought all that in there I mean I think Joe Storm probably would have stayed in the punk mode mm. um, if it wasn't for Mick Jones and the drummer and the bass player kind of wanted to do more um, yeah. so they kind of drove the band to do more which mm. I, I think is always cool because looking at your influences it seems like you're in that zone where you could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, that's definitely something I'm going to try and work on sort of more next year is I feel like I've sort of done the same thing for sort of two years running now and I would love to just do something completely left field and something new that I haven't really done before. I mean, I'm sure people have heard it before, but something that, you know, I haven't done before. That'd just be Yeah, because it seems like your default is just kind of power pop, you know, informed by the heavy metal. Mm. Um, you've got this kind of thing that if you ever listened like you got a lot of big star in you even if you haven't listened to it no um yeah, yeah well they're they're beatles so if you anybody if they sound they sound kind of like oasis they sound like the beatles they're like sound like bad fingers so they're in that same zone uh, kind of in. yeah i know bad finger yeah 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 so they're, they're actually a better bad finger than bad finger oh wow <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they, they have an album called the number one record they have an album called Third, and Third kind of devolves into like a Neil Young, Tonight's the Night kind of in-the-ditch uh, alternative kind of sound. Yeah. Um, if you ever heard the story of that, it's like, you know, Tonight's the Night is this very erratic, kind of almost falling apart type of rock that mm. became popular with grunge. Mm. And bands like Nirvana, and, uh, you know, they're kind of doing this kind of on the edge of falling apart. Um Style and Neil, Neil and Crazy Horse kind of were the big purveyors of that beyond the, the, the Velvets. We're actually uh, more successful than the Velvets at that. <laughs> um, yeah, but it kind of that that kind of sound is always cool. It always interested me when somebody something that may be unlistenable, but it actually has so much depth and actually you know calling in a lot of pain into mm. their music. It feels like there's a lot going on. It was like a reaction that some overdoses in this band. Um, uh, and so it's like very music and I've always been drawn to, to singer-songwriters that will kind of give of themselves yeah. you know, in, the, in their work that kind of show that kind of tear a little piece of their heart into <laughs> yeah that's I mean that's just the best thing when you, you sort of hear a song and it's like you're in the room with that person you know you, yeah it's, the per it's like, as hard as an artist because I think you it's painful to kind of reveal that yeah, you know, if you're yeah. if you're an artist, like a lot of artists will kind of, you know, if you get into the heavy metal and and, and really power stuff, sometimes you can't reveal a lot of sensitivity in that mm. music. You kind of just making brash statements, you're not yeah. re really revealing anything. But when you slow it down and you start to do the Beatles stuff, then you can start to bring in more personal. Mm. I think that's I think that's one area where like hip hop kind of. I don't know, started better than, than, than like rock music was because like 
see it seems like not from day one but from a few years after like hip-hop sort of started they were already kind of ready to do introspective tracks whereas it feels like i don't know in like sort of classic rock and roll you don't hear much like sort of introspective music where you're actually talking about real issues you know yeah you only get guys like neil young like i say tonight's tonight um mm. they'll get like pete towns and talking about all kinds of weirdness you know his personal issues mask um but like Tommy has all this stuff going on. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. pretty deep. It's hard to feel. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Because Townsend's like different than the other rocker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I but, but um, very interested in guys who will go there. Um, I think Neil and Pete will go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, typical rock guys don't go there. You know, they just don't do it. Um, they're kind of the oddball, Lou Reed. No, Dylan would go there, but uh, yeah. it's definitely more folk rock. Yeah. So, the the stuff you're working on now, I've seen your um your Spotify in the 2018 single and EP. Yeah. So, did you want to talk about those those uh, or talk about the new stuff you're doing? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I can talk about the old stuff. I, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That was um yeah. I mean. <laughs> It's that it's the sort of that thing of like I, I look back on it now and I think ah oh, you know there were so many things I could have done differently so many decisions I would make now knowing what I know now you know mm-hmm. and so I just feel like in so many ways I could improve it I'd love to do it again I'd love to scrap it and just do it all again um, like because in your EP and sound like fast sleep mm. don't shave repeat Apollo sixty nine and mm. par parasomnia with yeah, a, a Glenn Taylor and Glenn, there's no Glenn Taylor. Is he? Is he singing with you or is he playing no, with you? He, he does the guitar solo. He, he um. Oh, he does yeah. the guitar solo. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah. Wait, no, so I him doing the guitar solo. He's a he's a very dear friend of mine. He um, we um we started playing together in oh I don't know, maybe five years ago, and we started playing off in like jazz bands at school because we went to school together. Um. And then we, we did a band together called The Monkey Pit and put out a couple of, we put out one song and we did a couple of shows. But then when I started doing my own solo thing, I was like, oh, you know, I, I always had this sort of guilt because I'd always looked up to Glenn. I'd always seen him and he's, I mean, he's just an amazing guitar player. So I, I had this thing of like, it was like a guilt of like, I'm here, like, you know, doing a solo thing, but like, you know, Glenn's a way better musician. Like I've got to get him on here. I've got to show, you know, like help show people how, how great fucking Glenn is. Um, yeah, and I'm so gonna you get to making a band with him, or or you guys couldn't get that to work. I mean, no, we 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 did a band for a while called the Monkey Pit, and it was um, you know oh, four okay. of us. Then you went off, but yeah, well, we're all we were we're all of that age where we're going off to uni and we're doing we're kind of you know deciding who we want to be and, and and moving on to other things. So and it's hard to do a band at that kind of age. But um, but but then yeah, Glenn, yeah. Glenn as well. Like he he um he also chose to go to Cardiff for university. So that's kind of made it easier yeah. for us to stay in contact and, and collaborate a lot as well. But you still have your own solo ideas. So go doing like your solo projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always just sort of whichever song I can't really think of a guitar solo for. I just sort of text Glenn and say, "Come on, duh, drop a drop a solo on this one." Yeah. Five? Do you do you go get a 
like a drummer or, or do you just play like acoustic? When you have you done live performances as Blue Bone? No, I, I actually haven't yet. I mean, I would, I would love to, but I, you know, all the performances I did in the past with a band, it's, it was sort of kind of given to me because either Glenn or our singer Max would sort of sort it out. And it's, it's not that I, I couldn't set up a thing like that. It's just that I'd never had to. So I never kind of, you know, learn. So yeah, so, so like in producer thing on social yeah. areas like Spotify yeah. without having to actually be in, in, in the pits, you know, and, and the clubs that you yeah. can, you can on the net. Yeah, I, I would so love to perform live though. Like I would take any opportunity to perform live. I mean, I'm I'm going to try and work on that and uh, find some um, you know shows to play, but it's not easy. Yeah. Not... One thing I do, which I've told people about, is like I I do I have my home studio in New Hampshire, and I I go and do Facebook live performances. Then I okay. stream using like a Roland Go mixer that's hooked up to my put a pod and then link to my my Zoom R24 mixer, and I get a, a really good feed of the signal coming from my soundboard. Yeah. And I periodically do performances from my from my um my home studio. I'll get like three, 4,000 people watching. Um, so it, it kind of gives you a way to, 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 to practice like what your live show could be. Yeah. From your own, yeah. own space. Yeah. Yeah, you can always take an acoustic guitar hook it up with a little tripod and put your camera on and just like run it through some little mini mixer and then you could you could start building up on youtube like these live performances of you just playing the acoustic or something your acoustic version of your songs and, and then that could become the launching pad to actually maybe even bringing that to a to a small club that because i mean player you could always an acoustic and that would give you a way to perform, you know, without having to have the overhead of a band. Yeah. No, I should look into that, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another way of trying that now, doing that, you know, using the net to do that. And then there are actually clubs in New York City. They have these pro this project where they actually have bands come in and do, like, an unplugged acoustic performance mm. and kind of That's coffee shop <laughs> And then they put, and you can sign up through it through like Instagram and different services. But they have this whole thing. I'll probably send you a link there. But um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a whole thing about doing that. I think there's even this thing up on the roof in England. I've seen a oh. rooftop performances of like bands doing stuff. There's yeah. some project that does that. Um, well, yeah, that... there's lots of opportunities to get into that. Yeah. Well, that kind of coffee shop environment, or like you know, the sort of smaller, you know, quieter kind of sets. Which... I mean that kind of suits me down to the ground. I don't think my songs really would translate well to a you know a big a bigger stage. Yeah, the bigger the bigger theater. Like if you get on one big festival stages, it's hard yeah. to the excitement to those big stages. They're looking for those EDM transacts or the bigger acts, stuff like that. Yeah, um, they're looking for that, for that. But the yeah. smaller 300, 200, 100 seat clubs, you know, they kind of looking. They like that intimacy of, of, of singer-songwriter mm. category, which is kind of rare today because not a lot of people are doing, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, it was very popular. Yeah. Suzanne Vega, again, Liz Fair, you know, were doing that kind of singer-songwriter perspective. There was a lot of energy in that, a lot of energy on the female side. But, 
yeah, I haven't seen a lot of guys. Somebody like Ed Sheeran, you know, he's, he's doing that kind of thing. But he's kind yeah. of moving away performing stuff and doing collabs and stuff. But Yeah. I can't say I enjoy his new projects, that uh, collaborations one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of like his original concept of being a one-man band because that's yeah. what I like to do. But I think it was just kind of exciting to see a guy kicking it, actually able to kick it, carry it, carry it off as mm. a single guy just doing his band. Interesting to me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just seeing how he was able to do that. Well, up with other people, but I thought that his real genius was in the first stuff was able to carry that off. Yeah, and he was able to go on big festival stages like that. Yeah, but I, I, with, I mean, like, I when, foot, I with like a footboard that he was running backgrounds and stuff on. Yeah, I think when he played Glastonbury, though, he, he sort of got found out a bit. I don't know. It, it he tried the whole one man thing, but I was watching it and I saw. I, mean, I think he played Glastonbury sort of two or three years ago. I just remember thinking, like, I think. Much so, as you said, I like his sort of one man thing. But I think if you're going to play Glastonbury, I think he needed like a bigger band, doesn't know, like a you know a drummer and a, a bass player. Got yeah, yeah, it's always more impressive if you have a bigger band. Mm. But he was able to kind of carry it off. But it kind of gives you like yeah. a, a way as an as a solo artist, as like a guitar player, like looking at how he did that is mm. kind of interesting. You yeah, know, you can respect I mean, like Richie Haven. Richie Havens at Woodstock is another example. <laughs> you know, how you can come out with one guy on the guitar and, and do it if you have enough energy and enough dy yeah. dynamism, you know, to kind of do it. Um, mm. It's all about. So, like, maybe, like, so on that, so those, when you got those um, albums and now you're looking back on your EPs and saying, uh, you could have done something different. Maybe kind of talk about how you got to the place to get those out. What do you mean? Uh, like, like what made, like, I, I know, when I talk to artists, I talk about, like, projects and you created in 2018. They're out there. Um, like, how did you decide that those were the songs to put out and the ones you're going to put on Spotify? Oh, okay. Well, I think very early on in the in the process it it became clear that i was writing a very certain type of songs or very quite sleepy songs and i think the reason for that was i don't know why but i i i think i kind of my best time for writing is like after midnight so i found that i was always writing songs at one one two three four in the morning and naturally that kind of okay. influenced songs to sort of sound sleepy and tired because i was in fact you know sleepy and tired so it, that that was really helpful. That helped shape that um, EP really well because I was like, okay, let's write about sleep, being tired, the effects of staying up late, how that will affect your life, you know. And um, yeah, it became quite easy after that, picking, you know, not only lyrics, but picking what songs to go on the EP. Um, and as well, well yeah, it has that vibe. It has that kind of like after midnight vibe. <laughs> and on the on the YouTube version, if you're on the YouTube, there's a Beatles cover of I'm Only Sleeping from Revolver at the end of it. Um, I didn't put on that on oh, the stream, okay. so I was worried about getting, you know, the copyright. But, um, yeah, that was, again, yeah. I mean, I was caught between that and I'm So Tired off the White Album, um, you know, for doing yeah, yeah. a cover. I want Those the are Yeah. There's some companies now that let you do covers and handle the licensing for you. Mm. 
Yeah, I actually did a, a couple of covers. Um, I was doing some some stuff that I was into, but um, don't serve it. So if they handle all of it, and then they let you know if they accept it by. Oh, because you have to kind of do a song that's like in the same vein as the rhythm. Does not be exactly the same, mm. but kind of in the ballpark? Because I, yeah. I tried to do a blend. I actually tried to do uh, a, a country uh, that was radically different. I did like an EDM version of a country song. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, the, the 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 people owned the music, but we don't like that. So they wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> awesome. um, but but you never know. Um, yeah, but there are ways to do it. But uh, yeah, that's cool. So the new project, which you sent me like the demo to kind of give me the sound, is like I really love songs that I, I you don't oh, want wow. those being out. You don't want me to put those out on the episode. But I was listening to me, the demo they sent me this morning. It was like really great. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I kind of felt like. It's in there, and oh, the Beatles. You kind of have it always. Oh, okay. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. Like okay. I was kind of picking up on that. Um, yeah. Don't uh, don't expect the flowers, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Name. That's the song you're gonna. That's what's gonna be when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely going on there. That's I, yeah. I think that's one of the the better songs on there. Yeah. Yeah, I like the version you have now. I know you can always go back and change things. Mm. Um, I like the. I'm kind of a raw kind of guy. I like Velvet Underground. I yeah. like tonight's kind of raw. Like mm-hmm. if I go under today, I might like his first take rather than his tenth take. You yeah, know? it's weird how you kind of you know get things in a good way on the first or second take. You know. Yeah. They become very obsessed with trying to make something, and then we find out. First or second take is actually the best one. Yeah, it's like the Midas cut. Have something that's like gold, and then you try and improve it, and you ruin it or something. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes what happens is like the honesty of the first performance mm. is when you're kind of really raw. And yeah, and that thinking of lyrics and what it means to you. You know, the the fifth or sixth time you're thinking about you know the notes, but the first time you're thinking about what this means to you. You know. Yeah, it's like so. Sometimes that energy like i was listening to some original demos of idiot wind from tangled up and blue you know for uh you know idiot wind and tangled up and blue on um on, on this classic album um mm. and the original demos the problem mm. was he had like his coat like buttons were the acoustic guitar <laughs> you know yeah right but the, the first versions of like Idiot Wind and Tangled Up in Blue mm. are like better than the highly produced versions. Yeah. Because they really, really get at the heart of that, of what he was doing. And mm. it just has this little like external noise of his buttons on his jacket <laughs> hitting the guitar. And then they probably said, well, we can't put that out. But on a bootleg like, series, they put it out. And that version to me, it's mm. so much better. I really don't care about the exterior. Sounds more honest. Mm. Um, I think. I think that's what the um, that Beatles White Album remastered. Uh, you know, the 50th anniversary mm. last. Year. I think that's what that proved. Like those Isha demos, like um, tracks like "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" or "Blackbird." Like those demos are just like 
beautiful. They're brilliant. And then you listen to the real one, they sort of sound a bit, I don't know, a bit fake. It's, it's, yeah, with all the problems, artists will let, you know, the recording engineers and the producers come in. And that's fine. That's their business. Um, mm. But they tend to try to make something too perfect. Yeah. And I think this is more like Neil Young and Crazy Horse were kind of brilliant in that they really fought to keep the rawness. And mm. in a time when that was not typical, you know, the, mm. the early Crazy Horse albums compared to like Neil when he was in Buffalo Springfield and when he was in doing like Harvest, everything was really perfect. They were going over and over, you know, studio method, methodology of making everything totally perfect, sound perfect. But then Crazy Horse was this kind of reaction to that. that yeah. Kind of punk aesthetic that, no, mm. we're going to keep it raw. We're going to keep it loose. And it just mm. sounds, like I said, more honest. Um, yeah. Although, at the yeah. other end of that, I mean, you, if you take a band like Queen, I mean, they're famously, like, perfectionists. And then, then again, like, their music is, you know, that's transcendental. That's brilliant. Like, you know, you can have yeah, the other end. Yeah, you can go that way. Like, Foy too, like we did a later Pink Foy with the wall, and yeah, you know, I mean that stuff is in rock. Yeah, yeah, we get that. You have stuff that's like you know, or you got you go back to like you know, uh, the beast, uh, the 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 the, um, not the, um, the <laughs> I'm trying to remember, uh, Beach Boys. Um, <laughs> the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yeah, not the Beach Boys. Yeah, but, but the, the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. Like Brian Wilson was known yeah. to be a crazy person. You know, if you hear mm. the you know the smile and pet sound, like yeah, the the yeah. level. But he, that went like too far. He couldn't decide like, mm. on on smile. He couldn't decide what was the right version. He kind of well, that's the perfection kind of got took over. Smile project because he kind of he got a bit. Got tripped over his own mind. <laughs> yeah, you can get tripped over if you get. And even Hendrix mm. used to do so many overdubs, and people would look at it and say, like, "Well, they're all Hendrixian." Yeah. Like so, which, which version of Voodoo Child is is the best solo? Like, or they're all good, but mm. I had to defer to the first. You know, that seemed to be like the best, but you know, he he would get into that too. You know, even though he was kind of a raw musician, it seemed like he didn't do a lot of, a lot of, like, uh, work. But he did. He actually would go back and do multiple versions. I got a big collection of his stuff, and it's like, there's so many versions mm. of like every song, and he would go at them totally different ways, and mm. and it sounded really, you know, he didn't do that, but he did. <laughs> you know, and it's always interesting that you see a guy. Like that, you know, you get guys like Dwayne Allman and Clapton. It seems like they're kind of just like like blues guys, and it just comes out. Of them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But sometimes it's actually more practice than you would think. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I think that's one area where Clapton shines is his live stuff is brilliant. Like you know the the infamous like unplugged one, but also just you know just like Albert Hall and stuff. His his live shows are just amazing. They're brilliant. Yeah, because he kind of had that jam band thing. I, mean, I love the Allmans, yeah. you know. I love the Allmans, like Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman. You know, when yeah. they were really kicking it, they just had this ability to mm. just be on the jam live and just do amazing things. You know, mm. they they would do amazing performances. Um, like, you know, Clapton, you know, the same thing when he worked with them on Layla. You know, on Layla and other love songs, when he worked with Dwayne, 
they mm. just came up with this stuff that was like unbelievable. Mm. Uh, that was that's probably one of my favorite guitar oriented albums because you hear Dwayne Allman playing with Eric Clapton mm. and they're yeah. doing this cosmic blues countryfied stuff. And is it and still Bruce underneath? Is yeah. it still Jack playing bass on those albums? I think it. Huh? Is it still Jack Bruce playing bass on those albums? Because I know. No, no, no. They have a totally different band. It was like a southern oh. bass band, in Florida. So like um, the Layla Nova Love songs is uh, Derek and the Dominoes, and uh, um, he had like um, the, he had been playing with these southern acts from like yeah. Florida and, and the South, and he linked up with you know with the Almond Brothers and specifically Dwayne, and yeah. uh, they just came up with this whole new band. It's not clean. And it's it's like it's like the Allman Brothers with this kind of personal stuff that that, that Clapton, you know, he's in love with George Harrison's wife. The whole album is about him being in love with George Harrison's wife, <laughs> and, and that not working. And mm. that's what it's about. So it's very personal, um, mm. and it comes out that it's that deep, you know, and then it's got the, the depth of the guitars going on with that kind of pain mm. of a failed relationship that failed in many ways because he was friends with George Harris. I mean, he kind of broke that friendship. Yeah, and then they, sh they share guitars and stuff, don't they? They, um, they you know. Yeah, it just, it just it ends up being like a really awesome statement, even though it hurt him. It kind of really, he retracted from the world for like a year after the album came out mm. because he couldn't get Patty Harrison to go, to go with him. He failed. Like his mm. whole thing was that album was supposed to make her go with him and it didn't work mm. and then got embarrassed and he just hid from the world for like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but but, he, but he, musically he succeeded, but personally he failed. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because that's the kind of cost of being honest. Mm. You know, they can burn and that's why some artists, I guess, don't aren't as honest as they could be because you can get burned like that. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. But um, yeah, I digress. I always get into music history. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the new material you're working on, like the demo, mm. what's the what's the target date for the full project for that? Nineteenth of August. Yeah. Um, so yeah, about a month from now. Yeah. So is it just that song or is it a bunch of other songs? No, I think it's going to be at least four songs, but hopefully we're, we're going to get a fifth one down, hopefully. But it depends on, you know, if we can, if we can do that, if we can get it right. So you're still, like, um, in the mode of creating, like, EPs? Because this is kind of a single-oriented market. Yeah. But I create albums as well, and I find it, like, that I tend to do, like, every song as a single. And then I'll put the album out. Um, but you're gonna put that out as an EP, or you're gonna have the individual songs come out separately. No, I, I've always sort of preferred doing things as EPs because I think it's it's kind of a confidence thing. Like I've I've always shied away and sort of been scared of putting out a single, you know, because it's like I think there's a, I think there's a, a confidence with a single. It's like you know this is a good mm -hmm. song. You're gonna to listen to it. It's a single. Enjoy it. Whereas I think with an EP. You can, you know, it's like an album. You got, you're, 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 you're gonna have, collective. Yeah, you can have stuff in there that maybe not is a single. You know, yeah. the whole idea of an album, like there's maybe one song or two songs on an album that are a single, and the rest of it is part of like a theme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just a safety blanket, really. You know, if I put out, 
four or five songs, you know, people will have their favourites. Whereas if I put out one, it's like, oh, I didn't like that. Oh, okay, cool, never mind. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, I kind of it's everyone. weird. Like, I have like a contract that allows me to do like unlimited singles mm. um, with my record company, but but what I do is like a test bed. So I I look at the metrics on the on what ha- comes out, and then the ones that really kick end up going on an album. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, it's like I, so I will let the market kind of mm. show me, but there are some songs like I don't care. Like even if the market doesn't like it, it's part of the theme mm. of the album, and it's still gonna go on that album. Yeah. Even if it didn't kick off, it still might be part central to my theme. So. And if the world didn't get it, it's still going to go on the record. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I've always appreciated the value of songs that, you know, whilst they might not be brilliant, they might really it reinforce the mood of a record. Um, yeah. Yeah, like there's what I'm obviously not going to say which one, but there's one on the new one I'm putting out, which I sort of think isn't amazing, but it's so it's so in line with the, the ethos of the record. It's like it kind of has to go on there, you know? Yeah, that's one thing that's gotten lost in this age of like people just creating their own playlist. Is mm-hmm. like if you just pick a song from an artist and it's in an album, but you don't listen to those other songs, you kind of. To me, albums are like reading novels, and like great albums, they have these concepts and they mm-hmm. have these themes. And if you just pick what you think is like, you just pick Pinball Wizard from Tommy, right? Yeah. Then you miss the whole thing. Yeah, like that's I mean, not yeah. that. Yeah. So if you just pick that today, if that came out, people would probably just pick that and never listen to the rest. Yeah, it's um, like walking out a movie sort of five minutes into it, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, it's like that's like heavily into the album. It's not even. It's like in yeah. the middle of the record. So it's like you're missing most of the concept that Pete was trying to get you to get into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I I totally get it because today it is hard to get people to listen to albums. Though it seems like hip hop. Like Kendrick Lamar mm. and guys like um, like Earl Sweatshirt and you know Brockhampton, they can get people to listen to whole records. Yeah, They're not just, people don't just listen to hip hop; they seem to listen to the whole album. Well, I think I think Kendrick's he's done well for himself because now he's established this kind of precedent that oh, you have to listen to the whole thing. Like if you take to Pimp a Butterfly. You know, you listen to one or two songs, you'll go, oh, you know, that's okay. You listen to the whole thing and it's, you know, it's mind-blowing. And I think now people know that. He's he's done himself well because now when a new Kendrick record comes out, everyone's like, oh, no, you've got to listen to the whole thing or you won't get it. And it's he's, he's done Yeah, that. well, that's kind of like the Beatles, like Sgt. Pepper, because, like, Sgt. Pepper is, like, the beginning of that. Yeah. You know, because, like, we, we late 50, well, mid-50s, even before that, everybody was just single-oriented. Mm. You know, Motown, they would put records out that were just collections of all the hits. Yeah. You know, if you go back to a Supremes record, you go back to a Temptations record, they, yeah. they were all singles, and then they would put them into a big collection and, and try to give it a theme, but it was really based on they had released, like, all these singles over the last two months, and then suddenly now it's an LP. And you can tell as well, because the covers, you know, sort of before 1960 or the mid-60s, all those covers, they'll just be pictures of their face or them, you know, performing. Yeah, and I mean, there's suits, like the Motown, like, uniform of yeah, wearing, like, the, 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 the dream girl gowns or mm. the, the four tops or the Temptations all wearing, like, grey or black suits. Yeah, but then all of a sudden with the Beatles, they're, you know, they're doing artwork because they're selling an idea. They're not always selling themselves. They're selling, you know, we're yeah. a fake band, you know. 
Yeah, and then you get creativity in the record covers, you know, with like Sgt. Pepper's is like super creative, psychedelic cover. Yeah. And then from there, you get all the bands start creating things. Like Pink Floyd made these amazing covers. Um, mm, absolutely. And they're they're very concept-oriented, you know, and like, yes, yes, did a lot. But yes, initially did the kind of, would just show themselves, and then they started doing like very artistic stuff. And as, as a keyboard player, yes is a big draw for me. And then also like the Peter Gable version of Genesis. So like uh, signing England by the Pound and Lamb Lies Down on Broadway are like big, uh, like analog, uh, symphonic, like progressive synthesizer masterpieces to me. <laughs> um, that's like where I live is in that zone of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Genesis and Yes and you know, Rick Wakeman. And then even getting into like... Uh, the use of a mini mode by Funkadelic in Parliament. Oh, see, I can't, I can't get enough of Funkadelic in Parliament. Yeah, I, yeah, like the, that is yeah, just. That, yeah, I mean, if you go back to like, I was like, oh, like, you know, that that's something special. I I can't get enough of those guys. Well, but you get Boots and Collins doing this amazing bass, and you have Bernie Worrell doing that amazing mm. keyboards, and then you have Ed, the guitar as well. He's just the guitarist, like it's like unbelievable Hendrixian guitar, and then George Clinton with his humor. Yeah. His, his, his kind of you know void coding you know creating these certain noise nodes and creating all these weird characters mm. like you know I had like you know Prince was inspired by those characters like Camille and Camille and, and um, you know the Bob George character from the Black Album comes from like Funkadelic mm. comes from from heavily listening to what George and those guys were doing yeah which is like a, yeah it's just amazing stuff. And, so much, and it had such a massive influence on hip hop as well. Like, you know, oh yeah, oh, it was all hip hop is sampled. Harlem fucked it out. Yeah, I mean, you listen to Snoop Dogg's first album, almost yeah, it's all, it's all is, is 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 not even influenced. It's just a straight up sample. Like it'll just take a sample. Oh yeah, they, they just took full samples from Funkadelic mm. albums. Yeah. Same with Doctor. Yeah, I mean, that is all just P funk. That is straight P funk. It's told P funk. I mean, I I did see a producer that was at a Moog conference for I think Snoop Dogg's um, well, but for the Chronic for the album, the Chronic, they actually did some actual real live playing on a mini Moog that mm. sounds like Funkadelic, but it's actually not a sample. It's actually using a mini Moog and playing in that style. Mm. Um, so there are, there are some stuff that some stuff that they did um um for that album for the chronic that actually isn't a sample but oh, like, I, they sampled I, so much stuff that you couldn't could probably tell <laughs> yeah. you know but uh yeah that's always like the big uh big draw for me is like modes are like like the the the, the truth in synthesis <laughs> yeah that that's like you know when you're a synthesizer player like I don't like to use like a uh, sample, you know, well, well, what they call soft sense coming off of DAWs. I, I, I like to use like real modes <clears throat> just because there's nothing kind of like if a guitar player, like if you're going to sample all your guitar parts instead of playing them, mm. it's like, like if you're a keyboardist, like using a mode or using a Jupiter eight or profit five or kind of like, like that kind of shows like you put you, you're a player. That you actually mm. play, <laughs> that yeah. you're not just grabbing stuff, which is you know not that that isn't making music, but it's not the same. Yeah, if you know what I mean. 
reshaping things rather than writing them. Yeah, yeah. kind of like the, the difference between it being a producer that's a skilled, like Grammy level producer, and then there's hmm. an actual musician that can play. Yeah, it's two different things, and, and both of them are good. Mm. But you can prefer, like, I kind of prefer the guy who's actually being a musician when it comes to writing, like, indie music. Uh, if you get into hip hop, you can kind of say, okay, yeah, that's fine. You got the bomb squad, you got all these guys who've done that. But when you're actually playing, I, I prefer to actually play the mode rather than sampling it. <laughs> but I mean, go, when you go into like other genres, are you thinking of like using like an like an MPC or using different samplers or you know different plugins on a on a DAW and actually getting into that? that area of like trans and electronic music mixing your genres like well yeah what do you do with that maybe i mean the the tracks i'm writing at the moment they're kind of they're moving towards like sort of post-punk tracks and so i'll probably i'll move more heavily into like the use of synthesizers but i've i've always sort of shied away from samples because again like the beatles thing i'm just scared of copyright i i you know i'm just scared of just getting struck off from yeah, the sample sampling, you know, like you have to like I have some radical sampling machines that actually take stuff and totally like tape warp it. Yeah. I, I like to take a sample and then make it unrecognizable. Yeah. And then actually act like it's an oscillator. And then if I take a sample and do that and I run it through so many transmutations, it doesn't even sound like what it was. Well that's and, that's what I like to do. <laughs> I mean, that's the genius of acts like like Death Grips or JPEG Mafia is that they take these samples and, you know, they're just unrecognizable. You know, they've doubled the speed or they've warped it down an octave and like they're, they're just the masters. Right? Yeah, I think that's what the Bond Squad used to do that. They used to take so many clips and stack them that you couldn't even tell where they came from. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that to me is the genius compared to taking like Ice Ice Baby, taking that Bowie Queen song, <laughs> just running the baseline and acting like he did something different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but you know that it wasn't different. It's the same one <laughs> with 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 really not great lyrics over it. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> like you said, like Queen were masters at studio um, work. You know. And, and Freddie Mercury and, and that gang, they created like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and all the other songs they did that were just amazing. The, 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 the level of effort. Yeah, it's nice. And then you, yeah, you wonder today, like, could like a Bohemian Rhapsody like song make it through the editors or the gatekeepers in this world? Oh, absolutely. Probably couldn't do it again. No, <laughs> which is sadder, I think. Yeah, because like that's that's why I'm always talking to guys like you who are writing your own music because really the hope of music is in singer songwriters like yourselves who are willing to to kind of not do exactly what is trending in the you know the top ten. Mm. Um, to me, that's where I always have lived in the like the bottom five hundred of the chart. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, look, looking for the Velvet Underground or the or looking for the big star or the, you know, the replacements or the who's to do bands that weren't super, super big, but mm. made a mark. Um, mm. And that's always what I've been interested in is talking to people who are in that zone. It may be coming up and going to get to a better place, but I like to talk to them when they're in that, in, on that climb. Mm. 
so so um in terms of collaboration do you have anything like on 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 the schedule for the next year where, where you're gonna try to work with other folks well i mean on on this record i was i was supposed to supposed to get my my good friend joe who used to sing in another band i was in um you know he was just going to do some guest vocals i'm not sure it's going to work out this time but um as i said i'm going to get you know my good friend glenn to to solo on one of the tracks and then but more broadly speaking yeah i'd, I'd love to collaborate with people like um you know as i, as I said earlier like I'm, the tracks i'm writing at the moment they're sort of very like post-punk sort of i don't know joy division or sisters of mercy and things like that and i've got a friend who's very much into that sort of music and i I've shown him a couple of things and he said, oh, you know, we should sort of work together. I mean, he's not a, you know, he's not a traditional musician, but he, you know, I think he writes a thing or two every now and then. So I'm, um, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm so open to collaborating with pretty much anyone. I don't think there's anything I wouldn't do. You know, I think that's I'd... cool. Yeah. Cause I've always like, I haven't been out. Well, I have kind of a jazz influence in some of my stuff. Mm. And then I have this kind of like punk rock aesthetic that I like to do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to getting into like, like a Johnny Cash country like vibe. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I, I like, it. I love listening to Folsom Prison Blues. You know, I love oh. listening to Walk the Line. Because that to me, yeah. country music is Johnny Cash. What you yeah. hear today in country is not to me what country is. It's like Willie, well, you know, Willie Nelson, Waylon mm-hmm. Jennings. You know, real hardcore. You know, like in the prison. <laughs> man in black walk the line that that's to me that's yeah. real country at least authentic country um and i yeah, like I'm, anything that's authentic if you can you know, based on what i'm saying but <laughs> no i've listened to that fault and prism album almost like every week this summer i, I, I love it yeah. yeah i think that that album can inform you as an artist just to how how you can bring some real grit into your work like whether you're in, you know, because I'm like an electronic trance artist, I will listen to that album and I'll try to bring that vibe into what I'm doing. Yeah. Even though it's not the same genre, you could still kind of take that and be informed by it. Yeah, I, I mean, and for me, it's it's more like the humor as well, like the, you know, the sort of ad libs and things you hear between songs. Like I, I'd love to be able to have that kind of charisma. I think it's just brilliant. Oh yeah, or even a song like Boy Named Sue. I mean, that that song in itself is like. It's, yeah. it's like tragic comedy. <laughs> yeah. You don't even need to have heard the song and you're already like, oh, that's just like so witty. Like, the, you know, even the name yeah. of it. Yeah. He just had this thing that was like a Dylan thing. Like, he yeah. Kind of, like what Dylan did, he kind of had this kind of, kind of folk, real Americana thing going yeah. on. But also like the outlaw. Like he, he didn't, he kind of like would, would elevate outlaw ideas. Like mm. criminal, like the person that's on the outside, the man in black is the idea. Is a guy that's like the, the dangerous guy, the scary mm. guy, the outsider guy. The guy could yeah. end up in Folsom prison, you know. Mm. That, that you know, and that was Johnny Cash. He sometimes did stuff that put him in that category. Well, that, I, I, mean, I always like to imagine that in that recording, he is just a guy from the prison. I like to imagine he's not Johnny Cash. He's just some guy, like some inmate. Well, he <laughs> felt real comfortable because he had done some stupid things. He did ar- an arson by mistake. He'd gotten into drug abuse. He'd been into things that, like, where he, mm. I think he could understand their situation. That if he hadn't been Johnny Cash, mm. he could have been one of those guys. Yeah, in fact, absolutely. he felt like he was one of those guys anyway. <laughs> yeah that record completely feels like he's one of them yeah 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 he totally felt that way from what i've read about him 
um, mm. which is interesting because he could live in both worlds. He could be in like you know Los Angeles, hang around at the highest end place, but also get down with some hillbillies and understand it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's always cool. Um, mm. Yeah, so I'm always willing to talk to artists when you guys get close to your release. So when your new EP is ready, we mm. could go discussion of it and help promote it. Um, this podcast goes out to 11 platforms. So mm. when we publish, it goes out. We're part of Spotify. Anchor was a, uh, purchased by Spotify. So we're on uh, Spotify podcast. We're also on Apple. We're on Stitcher, Radio Public, multiple podcast platforms. And right now we're actually being sponsored by um, Spotify. So you'll yeah. actually hear a Spotify ad. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're, we're always happy to talk to artists from around the world. And we encourage everybody who listens to The Ghost, listen to Blue Bones, uh, click the links we're going to provide here. YouTube, uh, give them some love by downloading that material from Spotify and subscribing to his channel and liking everything that he puts up if you're into his music. So we're, we're glad to talk to Blue Bones today and we're hoping we'll talk to you when you have your next uh, record coming out. And uh, hope you have a great, uh, I think it's late night there, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like 10 minutes to midnight. Well, I hope you have a good morning when you get up. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, well, have a good time. I'll talk to you later. We'll talk to you again. Brilliant. All the best. Cheers. Goodbye. Thank you.